Welcome back to the third season of Fisher Link, presented by Fisher Inc. Magazine, a podcast for the Fisher College of Business to highlight stories in and around Ohio State that you may not have heard about. My name is Grant Powelson, and I'm joined today by my co-host Lily Wang and our guest Doug Farron. Doug is the Managing Director for the National Center for the Middle Market, as well as Instructor for the Middle Market and Retail Industry Immersion Programs here at Fisher. Thanks for joining us today, Doug. Um, do you mind introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about your background and how that led you to your current positions? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be on the podcast. Uh, yeah, so my background, I'm a native Ohioan. I grew up in Northeast Ohio, just outside of Akron. Uh, went to school for my undergraduate education at Penn State. Uh, I studied business there. I also played football for a few seasons before an injury ended my career, uh, and I coached a few seasons. Um, after graduating, I came back to Ohio and had an opportunity to work for a really small consulting firm. Um, we did Six Sigma quality implementations, so um, that was a big thing that came out of Motorola and some of the big kind of Fortune 500 companies who were uh, implementing it were places like General Electric and Allied Signal, Ford Motor Company. Um, so I had a chance to do that as part of that experience. I was um, went through the certification and training to become a Six Sigma Black Belt. Um, so that's a designation that I carry forward today. Um, but I always knew I wanted to go back to school and get my master's. So um, when I was looking at schools, uh, being back in Ohio, you know, Fisher was kind of the obvious choice. I looked at a couple other places. Um, but decided to come in full-time, so I did the full-time MBA program here at Fisher. I studied operations and logistics management as my focus, uh, with, a, with a minor focus in corporate finance. While I was here, um, you know, really didn't know what I wanted to do with that. Uh, fortunately, we have a lot of opportunity here in Columbus, and uh, I was able to intern at L Brands uh, in their supply chain and logistics group called MAST. And that turned into a full-time offer, and I spent about uh, 11 years um, working in various roles, supporting a lot of the brands, doing some things in inventory planning. And my last role there was um, in international, helping to plan inventory to new stores that were opening overseas in places like the Middle East and Turkey and the UK. So, um, And then this opportunity came up kind of out of the blue. I was recruited to come and help launch a new center, the National Center for the Middle Market, which was a collaboration between Fisher College and General Electric. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you mind explaining what the middle market is real quick? Just for our yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, when this opportunity was presented to me, I had no idea what that was either. Um, you know, as I just explained, I, I started my career in a very small company, 15 people, and then L Brands is a Fortune 500 company with thousands of people. So um, yeah, the middle market is essentially, um, the way we define it is companies between 10 million and a billion in annual sales. Um, that's an obviously a very large range, um, but the more practical way to think about it is, you know, think about companies who have kind of outgrown the startup phase. You know, they've gotten their feet kind of firmly planted on the ground. They've had some success, um, but they haven't quite reached, you know, a big corporation type status. Um, you know, the, the, the other thing that we like to talk about is this is a segment of our economy that's very important. It contributes about a third of the jobs and the GDP to our economy, but yet not much is really known about it because uh, a lot of these companies are privately held. Um, many of them are B2B type businesses. So think of them as you know suppliers to a lot of the big corporations. 
Um, obviously, they're very successful. Uh, I think it, according to our research, the average age of a middle market company is about 32 years. So they've been around a while. Um, I mentioned that private ownership aspect. Um, if, when you think about that, about 40% of them are family-owned businesses. So they may have gone through you know, a couple generations of ownership. And then about another 40% have what's called private equity investments. So these are firms who are you know, investing in the growth of the company, not necessarily to chop them up and sell them, um, but they want to see these companies continue to be successful. So this center was established actually as, as the only one of its kind in the country currently to not only study the issues of these companies, but provide them with resources to kind of continue to help them grow and maybe most importantly, contribute those jobs and, um, you know, sales and taxes and all the things that go along with that to our economy. Okay. What kind of resources do you guys offer? Um, so, you know, the, being at a business school, our primary thing is research, right? Um, when we launched the center back in 2011, um, you know, one of the first things that was very apparent to us is that there's not a lot of research on mid-sized companies. You know, as students, you've got, you guys probably are very familiar with a lot of big company examples and case studies and things you read about in the classroom. And then, Sometimes there are also things that are focused on entrepreneurs and startups and, and those types of things. Very, very little had been done up to that point on the specific issues of a mid-sized company. And that's important because their issues are very different. You know, you think about a startup firm, there may only be five or 10 people, right? You may not have the type of talent issues or communication issues or growth issues. And then certainly at the other end of the spectrum, spectrum when you're a $10 billion company and you're managing multiple divisions and you may be international, that presents its own set of challenges. So middle market companies kind of fall in between where, you know, they may have some of these bigger growth issues, but they don't necessarily have the type of resources of a big company. So where we focused was on collecting research that would kind of highlight what those big challenges are, as well as what the opportunities were for them to grow. Um, I think another set of resources that we provide uh, is just kind of outreach and engagement, right? So when sometimes when people think of an academic center, they may think, oh, all you guys do is just look at the theoretical things and it's not really practical. But from day one, our mission has been to, you know, engage with middle market companies, go out on the road. Uh, we travel quite a bit. To, uh, I think on average, we attend about 40 or 50 events around the country. And part of that is, again, kind of sharing the insights from the research, but also, um, you know, helping companies answer questions and also connecting them with the right resources that can help answer a lot of these issues. We're not necessarily equipped to be consultants, um, but we work with a lot of other companies, both sp our corporate sponsors as well as partners who exist primarily to help um, these middle market companies. Um, the last thing I would say would be education, you know. Um, We've done things like executive education where middle market companies have come to Fisher. They've taken some training sessions and uh, connected with our faculty to learn about opportunities that they might not have thought about, you know, had they not engaged with a, with a school like Fisher. Um, and then the last thing I would mention is the industry immersion, which is, I think, a really unique and uh, powerful program that we have here at the college. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to teach the middle market immersion for the last six years where we're taking a lot of this middle market knowledge and uh, passing it along to our students uh, here, particularly our undergraduate students. And so what I've seen from that um, are a lot of 
you know, my former students who maybe come in not knowing what the middle market is. And then by the time they leave that program, um, you know, some of them have even shifted their career focus to wanting to work at middle market companies because they've been able to see the type of cultures they have, the type of opportunities they have, and they just feel like it's a better fit for them. So those are the, some, of the, some of the things that we're doing. Okay. Uh, what's the typical week look like for you guys? Oh, um, you know, the, one of the things I like about being here, um, you know, I came out of the retail industry, which is pretty fast paced and pretty structured. I mean, you have a lot of detailed things that you have to do. Um, one of the things that I like in this role is that we don't really have a typical week and that can kind of be cliche. I mean, a lot of people will say that, but it's really true for us because we have so many constituents and stakeholders, it can really vary. Um, you know, my first couple years, I know we spent a lot of time talking with our faculty, talking with different researchers, kind of establishing a lot of relationships. Um, but a typical week for me is, you know, I, um, come in, Every Monday, I typically do kind of touch base meetings with members of our team. Um, we've got a couple of people who work here with us in the center. We also have students who work with us. So I try to kick off each week with kind of thinking about what our priorities are. Uh, we have regular staff meetings. We have um, calls with a lot of groups that support us. So an example is a company called Rattleback here in town. They're a small company that does a lot of our graphic design work. So they're producing reports for us and they're running our website. And so we have a call every other week with them. And then a lot of times it just varies depending on what we have on our plate. You know, we could be having research calls um, like I have later today, in fact, uh, where we're reviewing research data. Um, we have, you know, event planning calls where we're thinking about the next, you know, four or five events that we're going to be attending and what those hosts want us to bring to that event. Um, I teach every Wednesday, so that's another part of my role here is prepping for those classes. Uh, and then also just, you know, responding to a lot of requests. People view us as a resource, and that's how we want to position ourselves. So a lot of times we'll get emails, calls, um, you know, just people wanting to know more about the middle market, and we're more than happy to help. So, yeah, it really varies, um, but I've really enjoyed it so far. It's been, uh, it's, it's a lot of variety and I think that's what keeps it interesting. Mm -hmm. and you keep pretty busy. Too, yeah. Oh yeah. Very busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really cool though. What, um, are some projects that you're currently working on? Yeah. So, you know, over the years, um, our research platform has kind of focused on nothing that I would say is groundbreaking, um, from a topical standpoint, you know, think about a lot of the big, big business issues operations excellence, talent management, globalization, innovation, um, kind of finance and economic related topics. But I think the unique thing that we bring is the middle market perspective. So again, a lot of our research is survey based where we'll go out and you know collect surveys from anywhere from a couple hundred to maybe even up to a thousand middle market companies. And they're kind of telling us how they are doing things today. What are their challenges? Um, we can correlate that to their revenue growth and their employment growth and do all kinds of interesting things. So again, we've explored a lot of those topics that I just mentioned right now for us, um, our big theme that we actually started earlier this year, and we're going to probably take into 2020 is the theme of digital transformation and what that means to mid-sized companies. Because as I mentioned a little earlier, while a lot of mid-sized companies are impacted by the changes in technology, they don't necessarily have the amount of resources and capital 
to invest in systems and be buying all the latest and greatest technology that's out there. So one of the things we want to do is explore, you know, kind of different ways that that's impacting not only companies, but industries, functions within companies, right? So think about how a CFO or a CMO gets impacted by different uh, technological capabilities and what their competitors are doing to try to maybe steal away business from them. So we're going to be focusing on that quite a bit. Um, we've also got a couple projects in the works right now. One is on the idea of business transition. So that could range from um, you know a family who is getting ready to pass on ownership or the CEO role to a next generation, or maybe they want to sell and retire and get out of their business, or maybe there's a business that's looking to buy a mid-sized company. So we've got a project going on right now where we're looking at all those different um, kind of transition phases and the ways that companies prepare for them, what they can do to make sure that they're executed effectively, and then maybe most importantly, what are the impacts afterwards of the transition. Um, and then we've got a couple of uh, you know industry things that we're looking at too. Um, one of our sponsors, Chubb Insurance, is particularly interested in the life sciences industry. So that could entail things like pharmaceuticals, biotech, um, trial companies. I mean, it's a pretty fascinating um, area. And there are a lot of middle market companies that operate in that space. So we're going to be doing some research in that area as well. Gotcha. That's really cool. Um, kind of going off the digital transformation thing, I know um, in my internship, I've read a lot about like the new data privacy regulations and like that has a big impact on technology, especially like yeah. when you implement digital technology and yeah. like collect a lot of data. Is that something that you look at with middle market companies? Because I imagine like with new regulations coming out, it is harder when you have like smaller companies with less resources. Yeah. To, like, but comply with new things it is a going to be a significant i think ramification of implementing these things and then on a similar um, note you could think about cybersecurity, right and the ability to protect all this data um, when we uh, had cisco in as a partner for the last couple of years and it was kind of their big focus as a technology company they were helping middle market companies think a little bit more uh, fully about the types of investments they needed to make to make sure that their data was protected. I think one of the big misconceptions, you know, when we talk to middle market leaders and CEOs and CIOs, a lot of them will say, oh, well, that'll never happen to us, right? Like hackers go after the targets and the Walmarts and we're too small and no one would ever want to come after our data when the fact of the matter is that, you know, these companies are just as susceptible to these attacks and breaches. So, if not more so. If not more so, yeah, yeah. because they don't have anything in place. Um, an easier and target. We did some research a few years ago on cybersecurity in the middle market, and we found that um, I think uh, a, while 75 or so percent of the companies agreed that it was important, less than 20% had actually, you know, had like firm plans in place and had a, you know, uh, plan of action should they be breached. I mean, they just found, what we found was that they really weren't that prepared. And, you know, bigger cybersecurity data would suggest that a company doesn't even know that they've been hacked until about nine months after it happens. So, unfortunately, the same people who are saying, oh, it won't happen to us, I mean, it could be happened, it could have happened already, right? <laughs> yeah. They just don't know it yet. So, um, it's a huge issue that, um, you know, these companies are going to have to think about as they approach some of these opportunities to invest. They also have to think about the flip side, which is data protection and security. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you think there's like part of it is like a knowledge gap between like if you do know that like cybersecurity is important, like do you feel like companies may not know like how to go about like being more secure with their data and like technology? Yeah, and that goes back to the resource issue. So you think about the leadership team of many mid-sized companies, um, you know, they may be lucky if they have you know, four or five people on the team. So it's typically a COO and maybe a CFO who, in addition to all the financial responsibility, is also running HR and IT. So to your point, that person may not know, like, hey, where do I start? Like, who do I need to talk to? What do I need to know? Um, and again, that's that's kind of some of the gap that we're trying to fill. You know, we hope that middle market companies would look to our center as a place that they could at least go as a starting point to say, okay, here are the issues, here are the questions I need to ask my team, and then this will give us the starting point to go and, and seek out those resources to help us answer these questions most effectively. Gotcha. Yeah. That's really cool. I can see like the center is very important, especially for those companies, just to like get more educated on how their industry like functions and kind of see like how they compare to other companies too. Yep, exactly. And are they like paying you to do this research for them? No. So, I mean, that's a great question. Our uh, model has always been uh, corporate funding. So, you know, we launched in 2011, like I said, in a uh, partnership with GE Capital. So they were, uh, you know, basically a financial services company within the larger GE conglomerate. Um, and a lot of their customers were middle market companies. So they were the ones that actually wanted to work with a business school. On uh, Initially, it was just the idea of doing a one-time research project. And then um, when the opportunity came to Fisher, we were the ones that actually proposed the creation of a center, which would serve as kind of an ongoing um, resource. So they were our initial funder and sponsor. Um, we've gone through kind of a few phases of sponsorship, but yeah, to this point, all of our um, funding for our operations and research and everything comes from you know, mainly service providers who are looking to work with middle market companies. Um, you know, I, we could envision a day maybe down the road where we have memberships, where middle market companies can join and participate and collaborate. And maybe there's, you know, networks that get created, but we just haven't gotten to that point yet. But I think it's an interesting opportunity. Um, the, one of the hardest things about working with the middle market is just finding them and reaching them. Um, you know, there's no Google lists that you can go to. There's nobody that maintains like, oh, here are all the 200,000 companies that fit that 10 million to a billion. So we've even thought about, you know, should we be the ones that create that? It would take a lot of work and a lot of time. But, um, you know, the other thing too is there are always companies that are entering and exiting that definition. Yeah, You've got growing companies that hit the 10 million threshold. You've got some that grow out of the middle market and then you've got some that get bought up and they just mm -hmm. kind of disappear. So that would be a significant challenge to try to know who all those companies are. But yeah, one of our goals is just how do we engage more with these companies so that they know, for, number one, they know that we exist. And number two, they fully take advantage of all of these resources because again, one of the advantages of being located within Fisher and Ohio State is that our brand and our name brings a lot of academic credibility. And it also opens a lot of doors because companies view us as, you know, not trying to sell something. We're basically trying to help them with all this, these resources. So, um, yeah, lots of opportunity to, to kind of further work with these companies. So hopefully they listen to this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah. If they can tune it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. 
Um, just out of curiosity, do you know why they picked like Fisher and like Columbus to have the center, or is it kind of just like a happy coincidence that it like worked out that way? No, it, it was um, you know it was definitely a process. So um, the original RFP from GE went out to the top fifty or a hundred schools in the U.S. Right, so that ranged from the Ivies all through you know coast to coast. Um, I think what happened was when they narrowed down to the finalists, they really wanted a, kind of a public institution, large institution that had the resources, obviously, to be able to tackle this. I think Ohio State's profile was perfect for them, though, because we kind of reside in the Midwest. So from a branding standpoint, you know, you're going to launch this middle market center. Here you've got a large land grant university that's in the middle of the country. Um, we have a huge reach, right? So you think about our alumni network, something like 70 or 80,000 within Fisher, almost a half a million for OSU. So that was also, I think, a very helpful factor. Um, we also had, you know, a dean at the time who was very progressive in terms of um, the idea of linking the academic side with the corporate side and how do we build that bridge and make that relationship stronger. So just like our other centers here at Fisher College, um, this one was viewed as another opportunity to do two things. Number one, build that bridge, but also, you know, kind of give Fisher something that would be unique um, that no one else in the country is doing. And I still find it kind of interesting that even after, you know, heading into our ninth year now that no one else is really doing this. So we kind of have that flag that we can wave to say, hey, look, if you're interested in learning more about the middle market, come to Fisher. This is the place. Yeah, that is surprising. Yeah. Sure. yeah. What would you say your favorite experience has been so far? Oh, I've had so many of them. Um, I, I just really have loved this role. Um, my favorite experiences have been um, back in the days when we worked with GE, they used to hold these very large conferences at the Ohio Union. They were called the Middle Market Summit, and it was really a way for them to put a spotlight on this relationship. Um, they really loved the fact that you know, they were working with a large university, a well-known university um, who has a well-known football team. But, um, but no, what, what this event grew over time and what it became was really a customer relationship event for them. So, you know, GE would basically rent out the entire union, you know, almost the entire space. In the main ballroom, they would host up to 1,200 people, which was the capacity. Um, a lot of them, again, key middle market customers and over the course of about two days, they would basically have speakers coming in. Um, our center would make presentations on kind of key research findings. And it was a chance for them to provide value to their customers outside of just the normal financial quote unquote banking relationship. But I, I mean, the people who were coming to these things, um, our keynote speaker in the first year was Warren Buffett. It was wow. Amazing. So the chance to kind of meet him. Um, our keynote speaker in year two was George Bush, the former president. So, I mean, I, I give a lot of credit to GE for the amount of not only money they put into this, but the uh, the speakers they were willing to attract were really top notch. And um, our center had a chance to kind of have a booth at all of those events. We did four of them, I believe, um, and a, a chance to meet all these very influential and prominent, you know, not only business people, but thought leaders and um, artists. Uh, I know one year we had Sammy Hagar, who used to be part of Van Halen. He was a, actually a middle market business owner. He had started and sold $200 million businesses, a restaurant company 
and a tequila company. <laughs> and so they brought him in certainly for entertainment value and kind of recognition value, but he could talk about his business experiences being in the middle market, which I think it's just very interesting, number one, but then it just, it people listen to that, right? Because it's just something that's non-traditional. So I really love those events. Um, the other thing I would mention is they were live broadcasts on business networks. So one year we had Bloomberg TV here and the other we had CNBC who broadcasts the Morning Joe program was broadcast live from the union. So it was like significant visibility, right? And yeah. those are like once in a lifetime things that um, I know I look back on my career and say like, wow, that, I can't believe that we were a part of that. So that was certainly um, probably the most memorable for me so far. Yeah, that is awesome. Is yeah. that just a one-time thing? No, we did it a couple years. Like it started up when we first launched the center and then it grew over time. I think 2014 was our last year. And then when GE exited, we kind of stopped doing those things, okay. unfortunately. But yeah, it was it was a significant boost to not only the center, but the middle market visibility. Gotcha. That's really cool. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit. I know you mentioned that you instruct both the middle market and the retail industry immersion program. Yes. And I know we had talked about that with actually some of our guests on previous episodes. Um, the industry immersion program is... A year-long program, I think it's only open to underclassmen, and the first semester for most of them is usually like getting a deep dive into educating yourself on that specific industry, and then second semester, partnering with that, whatever the um, course's sponsors are, and like doing a project for a business. Um, so with the projects that you worked on, I know you've done it for how many years now? Uh, I've been teaching the middle market for six, and then this is my fourth year teaching retail. Okay, gotcha. So kind of in that time that you've seen a lot of student different student projects, mm -hmm. um, what insights do you think you've taken away from what you've seen students create? And when often have you seen like mis common mistakes or things that like really stood out from yeah. these projects? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, having been on the other side of the fence, being in the corporate world, when I was recruiting at schools like Fisher and Penn State, Michigan State, Miami, um, I just see that immersion program number one is extremely innovative and, you know, you don't see it a lot. I hear from the companies that I work with today, a lot of them are like, this is a really good program. You know, I wish this was around when I was in school. Those are comments that I hear fairly frequently. Um, you know, the first thing I would say is, um, Companies tend to maybe underestimate the value that even undergrads can bring to a team project. You know, when I first launched both the middle market and the retail courses, um, you know, the, the biggest challenge in the first year was just recruiting companies to participate because you kind of have to sell them on what this could be and what the potential results might look like. But I had nothing really to go on to share, right, as a case study or an example. But once they've gotten involved, um, the thing that I've been really pleased with is that a lot of times they've continued to come back year after year, right? So they're not trying it as a one-time thing. They're actually enjoying coming in and giving a guest lecture in the fall. And then the projects have just been so beneficial and impactful that they say, well, why wouldn't we do this again, right? I mean... We're getting this, these great new insights and ideas. Um, a lot of the recommendations that I see have actually been implemented by the companies, which is really rewarding, I think, this, for the students and uh, for myself as the instructor, certainly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great way to build a relationship with the university and Fisher. It's also become, I think, more and more of a recruiting and kind of talent engagement tool because... This is almost like an internship where companies can assess, you know, how students might perform. And likewise, the students who work on these different projects get to see what it's like being with their company. 
Um, so more and more now that we're you know a few years into these programs, I'm seeing companies start to think about, oh, maybe I should hire that person when they graduate because I really like the work that they did in the immersion project. Um, I think you know some of the mistakes. Um, I wouldn't really call them mistakes, but just like ongoing opportunities. Um, you know, we need to continue to expand. I think. You know, kind of naturally, a lot of our participating companies are from central Ohio or certainly Ohio. I'd like to see these become more national companies. Um, you know, we've got some examples of that. I think in retail, the group Dynamite Garage Project that you worked on, Lily, is a great example where now we've got an international company participating. And that opens up a whole new set of opportunities, which I think are great for, for all of us. Um, yeah, and just how do we continue to grow and promote this so that you know we can get more students involved, we can build deeper relationships with companies, and then kind of communicate the value of it? I think those are just kind of the ongoing challenges. But I talk to my other instructors who teach other immersions. You know, we meet pretty regularly, and everyone kind of has the same experience, which is the company's just really enjoying their participation. So I'm glad this program's uh, continuing to succeed. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think when I was in um, the industry immersion and I worked on the project that I did, I never imagined that I could like work on like an international retail project. And it was surprising how different, like since that company is based in Montreal and Canada, it's surprising like how many differences you could actually find in like a female clothing retailer in the U.S. and Canada and like how hard it is to go even just like across borders in the same continent. So I would definitely say that's like one of the most beneficial classes that I've taken, um, just being in Fisher. And it is really cool to see that like you can have like an impactful opinion about a company, even if like you don't have the experience that you, they do. And also like I think being really upfront with the fact that you're still a student and you're offering a student perspective and like an outsider perspective. That's like when companies like tend to listen more and like sure. react yeah. better to what you're saying. Yeah. Because it because it's not like you want to come in and be like, yeah, I'm like a 20 year old and I think I know everything <laughs> about your company. And right. There's all the things you're doing wrong and like this is how you should change them. Because obviously, like anything like from an outsider perspective with a company, it's like you can tell them that they should change something, but it's never e an easy fix whatsoever. Yeah. So I think that project was really cool because we got to like see what they were doing really well and then just kind of offer more like outside of the box recommendations yeah. on like how they could improve. And, and I, I think middle market doing. and retail are two like perfect industries or segments to be part of this because on the middle market side, you've got companies that are again, just very resource constrained. So any help they can get is very appreciated and valued. From the retail standpoint, as you were just mentioning, um, a lot of times the target customer are you guys. So the perspectives that you bring in, that was certainly true with the garage project is that they almost valued your insights more because you were the ones that are kind of the target consumer and the demographic that they're going after. So um, to the extent that we can continue that, um, there's no reason why the student insights can't be, you know, at least as powerful as others. Um, you know, even consulting companies who kind of do this for a living. Um, I think, you know, sometimes the work that you can do, even in a short-term three-month project, can be extremely impactful. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, how do you think um, your background in supply chain and your experience working in corporate retail has helped you take on roles in, like, the research world and the little more um, academia-focused world? 
Yeah, it was a question that I had certainly was how I was like, you know, when I first took this role, how was I going to make that leap? Um, I think in a supply chain role, um, the thing I took away was, you know, I had, you have to collaborate with a lot of people. And that is certainly a skill set that has transferred extremely well, especially when starting up a center like this, because of all the, you know, all the different groups that we try to reach and want to try to work with the ability to be able to bring people together to kind of create a project plan, to share a vision, to get buy-in, to get various groups of people who may not normally work together to try to align to the same mission and kind of you know end objective, I guess, is something that I did every day in my supply chain role. And that's been really helpful here um, because when we line up a research project, you're talking about there may be two or three different organizations involved. You may have a faculty member advising. You've got a research firm. Then you have to take all that and create a report out of it. So um, that and the ability to kind of you know think very linear, linearly about these are the steps I need to do to get things done, um, I think has been helpful. Um, certainly, there are a lot of things I didn't know about being in academia, and I've kind of learned those slowly over time. Um, you know, the retail piece, as I mentioned earlier, fast pace, very, very detailed. So I've taken a lot of that, you know, detail approach uh, with me as well, being able to ask a lot of questions, um, making sure that we've got, you know, not only the theoretical and the conceptual, but actually the kind of data and evidence that we need to kind of prove out a lot of these projects and, and research initiatives. So. Now, I think it's been great. I mean, certainly I'm not saying that I don't have a lot of opportunity to continue to learn. I, I seek those opportunities out, but I think it's been a really nice transition uh, and I'm glad that I made the move, so. What would you say is most challenging about your job? I know you've talked about what you like, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times it's just, there's no roadmap for this. Um, yeah. You think about other jobs and industries and companies I mean, a lot of times you can get a manual or you can go through training or it's like very transactional or process oriented. This is very um, like gray space, right? So there's never a right or wrong answer. Sometimes that can be very, um, you know, challenging to say, well, am I doing the right thing here? I don't know. Let's just try it out and see. So you kind of have to be willing to take some risks. You can't be afraid to fail. Um, that's kind of a challenge for me because I always like to be successful in things. And so you see things that don't work and you can, there's a tendency where you can take that personally, but you kind of have to just remember that we're in a very you know unique situation where we have the ability to be somewhat entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. We still have to abide with, by the policies and structures, you know, within the university, but at the same time, you know, we have the freedom to go out and kind of do the certain things that we want. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a challenge making sure that we're continuing to meet our goals, that we're not losing sight of our mission. Uh, sometimes we can get distracted by things that look like they're, oh, this is a cool opportunity. But if you pursue that, what are you sacrificing? You know, your time, maybe um, budget dollars, you know, focus, all those types of things. So it's a constant challenge to make sure that we're prioritizing things appropriately so that we're as successful as we can be. But you guys just set the bar and you have a lot of freedom, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, I know you're a busy guy, so we'll wrap this up. But uh, what advice do you think you have for students looking to enter the middle market or retail industries? Yeah, I would just say, you know, try to get some experience. Um, try to use as many resources as you can to learn as much as you can. Um, that's why I think immersion is so powerful because 
again, you get these kind of firsthand project experiences. Um, you know, try to build a network. I know, you know, LinkedIn has become by far kind of the, you know, digital uh, kind of networking place where almost everybody I know is on. So even going out there and starting to reach out to people in industries and professions that you are considering and just trying to build your network at, a, at an early age, I think is vital. Um, and it never hurts just to know a lot of people. So I would say, you know, internships, programs like the industry immersion, building your network, those are all great things, regardless of what industry you want to be in. For the middle market in particular, I mean, like I said earlier, it can be tough to kind of find these companies. And a lot of time their hiring isn't kind of real time. Like they say, oh, we need this person. Let's just go hire them. It's not as planned out with okay. career fairs and internships and things like that. So it can be challenging to get your foot in the door. Um, so, you know, even volunteering to do projects, I know that's not, not the most desirable thing typically, but that can be viewed as, uh, you know, very valuable for a middle market company. So, and then engage with the center. I mean, I'll just quick plug for us. I mean, the, the, we have the ability to help students, you know, if they are trying to research companies or want to know more, uh, we're always a resource they can contact to. You guys are great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Doug. My pleasure. No, it's been fun. Yeah, you have a lot of valuable information to offer, and we appreciate you taking the time to speak with great. us today. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of Fisher Link. Fisher Link is presented by Fisher Inc., a student-run magazine for the Fisher College of Business. I'm Grant Powelson, the VP of Podcast for Fisher Link. And I'm Lily Wong, the president of Fisher Inc. Magazine. We'd like to thank our sound designer, Connie Bueller, for editing this episode. If you enjoyed listening, please leave a review, check out our past episodes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Fisher Inc. Mag for updates on future episodes. Fisher Link is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and on FisherIncMag.com, where you can stay informed on all things Fisher. Thanks so much for listening, and go Bucks! Bucks!